talking about the issues that matter to Montana. Statewide, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. We're here in the middle of the holiday season. We thought, what the heck? Why don't we go down to the Summit Cigar Lounge, get together with some friends. we got a, a good longtime friend out of Scobie, Montana, who's in town right now. Let's go have a cigar catch-up, tell some Montana history, talk a little Montana politics. So we're here. That's where we're at. We're just about to light up our cigars here in just a second. I got Greg Frakes, the proprietor of the Summit Cigar Lounge in the house. Greg, good to see you, and uh, thanks for hosting us, Don. Oh, it's morning. great to have you here, and I always always enjoy your company, and it's great to see John again. John and I go back many, many years. It, you and I have been friends pretty much since the uh, the Bush-Cheney inauguration back in the year 2000. Well, it, it, started, but, uh, it started when you were working on Burns' campaign in 99-2000, uh, and uh, your your cousin Pete told me to get in touch with you. And we got that. Uh, I had that when Schweitzer was doing all the uh, the uh, – Drugs across the border, taking people and busloads up there to bring uh, prescription drugs across. We uh, we brought in. I had this costume made, and it was uh, I can't remember what you guys dubbed it, but it was a, it was a looked like a pill, and it had a it had a sombrero on it. And you're yeah. you're the only one that had the guts to wear that thing. This is uh, well, you know, hey, I was. It, that's this is what I love about uh, catching up with Greg Franks. So Greg Franks, uh, for those who don't know, uh, he you know long career in the private sector now, but he's also got a long history in Montana politics. He was the kid in the Ron Marlinade congressional days, and then I was kind of the kid in the uh, Senator Conrad Burns days in the year 2000. I was, you know, going to college in D.C. That's how I ended up working for Senator Conrad Burns. So, so we we both get to talk about back when we were the kids on the campaign trails and things like that. But yeah, um, they, they said, "Hey, we need somebody to to be a Tijuana Tamoxifen." That's right. And so I'll never forget we're outside of Petro Hall. Uh, MSU Billings now, and it's the big Burns Schweitzer debate. And you know, Schweitzer was pretty brash, right? And so, so we threw a little brass right back at him. And I was out there, you know, Gore and Lieberman were on the ticket at the time. So, so I was singing, you know, Tijuana to Moxifin, <laughs> Gore, Schweitzer, and Lieberman, you know, because we were tying Schweitzer to, to Al Gore at the time. And, uh, and anyway, pretty funny. And then, you know, you fast forward a few years and I'm at the at the bar in Whitefish, you know, you know, uh, ha- having a drink with uh, with then Governor Brian Schweitzer. So, uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of fun stories we can share this morning. Oh, definitely. But, uh, John Brendan, we're going to talk with John Brendan here in just a second. Uh, state Senator out of Scobie, Montana, but just a, a rich history, uh, not just of Montana, but of Montana politics and so much more. You know, I I think I first met uh, John back in 1986. I want to talk about being young. I was about 15 years old at that time, starting to get involved in politics and getting active, and I was volunteering for some stuff for Ron's congressional race in the Eastern District. And I got to got to know a lot of these uh, older gentlemen of the party. I mean, John wasn't that old back then. But, um, and, and, you know, a lot of these guys, uh, John, Chuck Herringer, Dave Bliss, Larry Anderson, uh, you, you start going through that. Tilly Pierce is another one. Uh, you, I was very blessed to have an opportunity to get to know these people and really kind of learn some of the history. Because you could, a lot of people think that history begins at the time that they start or they get involved in that. But, there's a long history of involvement in the Republican Party in Montana. Yeah. So it, it's, it's great to see John to catch up and, and uh, rehash some of these old stories. Well, we're going to have some fun this hour of the program. And then in the next hour, I want to talk Frank Whetstone and the Reagan Western Revolution, how they won the West. Uh, and then also the, the 1976 Republican primary, back when we had two seats in the House, just like we do once again, and could potentially see a big primary election coming up here uh, in Montana for the House, depending on what shakes down with the Senate race. So lots to talk about here. Greg Franks and John Brennan in the House. Follow in this man's baby steps, and you too can give your debt-free scream. Dave Ramsey, each weeknight starting at 9 on News Talk 103.3 and AM 970. 
If you can plan barbecues and weddings, you can plan to protect yourself from a natural disaster. Sign up for local alerts, prepare an emergency kit, and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov slash plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Serving the great state of Montana, from the peaks of the Beartooth to the banks of the Clark Fork River, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. All right, great to be here at the Summit Cigar Lounge in Billings, Montana. Former State Senator John Brennan out of Scobie with us here. Greg Franks, the proprietor in the house as well. John, you've got just such a rich history in Montana politics. It's good to see you. Thanks for uh, joining us here at the uh, Cigar Lounge. Well, I appreciate it, and I also... I also appreciate uh, meeting with a couple of uh, old new friends. <laughs> <laughs> you're calling us the old guys now? I guess I No, guess you're old are. friends, but young. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> as, I, as I always say, it's not the years, it's the mileage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I don't have any. <laughs> Same here, I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. Greg, kind of give us a little bit of an introduction just about you and just some, some big names in Montana politics that, that a lot of folks uh, may not be familiar with, but... Uh, talk about Greg Franks, remember when you, you remember him when he was really young. Well, I remember uh, Greg when he worked on the Marley campaign, and he was just gung-ho kid, I thought. And I thought, that's great. We need more young people in politics, uh, especially conservatives. And uh, we just hit it off, and through the years, and I even tried to get Greg to, I've been uh, chairman of the Republican Party, under when Ronald Reagan was president, and I tried to get Greg uh, to follow me later on. As, I did try, and I got my butt kicked. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, we didn't win that one, but we've gone on and won several others. You know, I, I mentioned you're a longtime state lawmaker, state senator out of Scobie, a farmer, still farming. Uh, but you get to spend some time at the Flathead, so you get, a, you get a chance to kind of hear what your friends in the Flathead are talking about and what your friends back in Northeast Montana are talking about as well. But give us just a quick rundown of just your life and career. You know, my folks, uh, my we're all Norwegian. They originally from Norway and Sweden and then Minnesota and North Dakota and Montana in 1917. And my dad started farming and did very well, and then he started a furniture store. And how I really got involved in politics was... The Dewey Truman race in 1948. Now, I'm seven years old then. I was going to say, you, you're and, not that old. Are and you? I'm listening on, my dad uh, sold uh, furniture, his new furniture store. And he had a brand new RCA Victor, and it was an AM FM radio with, that had 45s, 33 and a half, and 78 records. Hey, John, I'm going to interrupt real quick. Uh, while you're telling your story, I'm lighting up. Yeah, we got to light up our cigars. So let's keep I'm, going. I was thinking the well, same thing. Well, I'm not lighting up uh, a cigar. Uh, uh, <laughs> I tried that several years ago, and it, the taste didn't hit me. But my folks uh, never said we're real active in the Republican Party or at home in Scobie. And, uh, but I'm sure as a little boy, I heard them say that they were hoping that Dewey would win that race. So I'm on the floor listening to that because I know my dad... My dad in 1932 voted for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He said that was the only time he voted for a Democrat. He said that was the biggest mistake he ever made in his life. <laughs> but anyway, so hearing those things over my life, young life, I guess I thought I was a Republican at seven or eight years old. And so I remember listening to the scratchiness of the radio station from somewhere 
and it would be very intermittent at that time, uh, I would say, go, do we go, go, do we go. And uh, basically, that's how I got involved, in, uh, I think, in politics and then all through high school and college and what have you. Uh, you just started the progression up, and, and that's what happened. Then got involved in the Republican Party and was on the executive board, and, and that's another long story. But um, I guess, and I've just been in politics for a little over 60 years. Yeah. Dewey defeats Truman was the big uh, fake news headline back in the day. Yes. The, 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 the headlines that got it wrong. I can't remember. Was that, it wasn't the Chicago Tribune. Was it the it was Chicago Hearst, Sun-Times? Was it a... Yeah, I, I forget what newspaper it was, but it was front page. You That's know? right, yeah. And uh, I remember that picture. <laughs> it's interesting because I always remember Senator Conrad Burns, of course, the you know, Republican elected to the Senate in 1988, was a Yellowstone County commissioner. When he was asked to, if I remember right, when he was asked who his favorite president was, he would say Truman because he thought Truman made the tough decision but made the right decision. It was also uh, the fact that he's from Missouri, so don't forget Missouri. that. Missouri. It's Missouri. Well, yeah. <laughs> people, some people don't remember that either. Conrad was originally from Missouri. That's right. But, but then again, so was Charlie Russell. Charlie Russell yep. was originally from Missouri before he came to Montana. So Well, they, they smartened up and, <laughs> well, and moved to Montana. Well, Truman wouldn't be a Democrat today anyway. There's just nothing about his policies or his principles that would allow him to be a Democrat. John, I want to talk about Frank Whetstone for sure, because this is a big name, a big Montana name, but a big national political name who really was a mover and shaker, especially when we talk about how Reagan won the West and this, this Western revolution. But I want to save that for the next hour. What's a, what's a big story that you want to talk about before we get to Frank Whetstone in the primary of 76, the east-west of Well, growing up, and going up the ladder in politics, uh, I had a cadre of friends, and, and at that time there were a lot of older people like Frank Whetstone and others that had been in the party for a long time. But there was a gap. There was there was nobody in the middle. And and I always think of politics like an escalator. If you're going to have a successful business or a party, you've got to keep every step full. And the steps weren't full at that time. And so I thought that we needed some younger blood to get involved. And that's why I was uh, uh, pushing for Larry Williams at times and Jim Waltemeyer and what have you. Well, a bunch of my friends said, well, John... You should run uh, for state chairman. So, so they basically, just, you went around looking for younger folks to get involved, and they said, well, why don't you get, uh, get a little bit more involved? Well, so Conrad Frederick's uh, attorney, friend of mine from Big Timber, and several others persuaded me to do that in 1981. So Betty Babcock was my uh, uh, lieutenant co-chair co -chair at that time. And uh, so I campaigned in every state, flew my airplane and what have you all around, and went with other people, my father-in-law, Lloyd Ryan, and... Covered the state, and he said, well, this is a congressional race that Brendan is running. And I thought I had enough votes to win uh, with all of... And this was what year again? In 1981. 1981. So hold, hold that thought. We'll, we'll come back to this. Uh, you're, you're eyeing a congressional run, uh, at, uh, potentially, or at least other folks thought you were eyeing a congressional run. So hold that thought. We'll start there right after this. Do you when I smoke weed, I get lost in the music. I like to isolate each instrument. The rhythmic bass, the harmonies on the piano, sticky melody. Hey, 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 careful, babe. There's someone crossing the street. Sorry, I, I didn't see him there. If you feel different, you drive different. Don't drive high. It's dangerous and illegal everywhere. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. <laughs> about 
the issues that matter to Montana. Statewide, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. So, John Brennan, you're traveling the state of Montana. Uh, folks are thinking you're about to run for Congress. This is 1981. You mentioned the name Betty Babcock became a very influential figure in, in Montana politics and Montana history. Yes, and uh, in fact, uh, when I decided to run for chairman, Marlony was uh, in Congress, and uh, I didn't tell Ron Marlony that uh, I was going to run for chairman. And uh, a lot of people thought that Ron Marlony put me up to run for chairman. Well, <laughs> that Ron didn't know anything about it. In fact, I started out in politics well before Ron did. Uh, but you see who got the gold mine and who got the shaft. <laughs> but anyway. I, I should say we've mentioned Ron Marlinay's name a couple of times. So for just a big picture for, for you know, folks who are newer to Montana or just, you know, you know, hey, some people forget who the congressman was six years ago, let alone. Or some people don't even know who the congressmen are right now. But, you know, for a long time, we only had one member of the House of Representatives. Uh, now, more recently, we've got a second member of the House of Representatives. So we've got Zinke in the West, uh, Rosendale in the East. But the last time we had uh, two members of the House of Representatives, Ron Marlinay was a Republican representing uh, that, the East. That was back in the pre-92. Yeah, pre-92. Um, and then through our, I don't know if it was really necessarily a population decline, but through the slowing of our growth, we lost one of our two congressional seats and uh, Eastern and the Western congressmen ran against each other. And so back spot. then, Ron Marlinay, the Republican in the East, and then you had Pat Williams, the Yeah, they were both running against Democrat each other in, the, in, in, in 1993. But through the 80s and the late 70s, Ron was the only elected Republican in the state of Montana. If you want to talk about the transition that's happened in the state, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in that second hour of yours. Yeah. But uh, John was instrumental in that, in the transitioning of how Montana is quite leaning very, very solid red as a Republican state. And the, the advantages, even the Western District is, I think, a plus five or six in those, that congressional race. is like plus 12 to 15 in the East. So uh, John was a big part of that process. So so big picture, uh, Greg Franks, the reason why we thought this would just be such a great conversation. We had a similar conversation a few months ago over a cigar, and we thought, oh, we need to do this again. We need to share this with everybody in the state. It's just good history. But but also, it's, it's very timely right now because of the way Montana politics has shifted so recently now here and with the addition of this second seat in Congress. Well, let me finish uh, the rest of the story like Paul Harvey would say. Uh, so so uh, ran that race. It was here in Billings, and it was a knockdown dragout in, in the, the big hotel over here. And I will tell you, it was, it was nasty. And I thought I had the race won, but the other side uh, took a whole bunch of proxies from me, and I lost by 11 votes. And so the press came to me the next day, and I still have the front page of the Gazette saying, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to start your own party, or are you going to do this? And I said, no, I'm going to stay in the party, and I'm going to support these guys and people that are in our party, and I will be a part of it, and I'm, I'm not quitting, and, and I'm not going home mad. Well, that served me well. So 1983 came around, and my I somebody asked me if I was going to run for chairman again, and I said, no, I don't think I will. And my wife, who was from Big Timber area in the Crazy Mountains, said, well, why not? She said, I think you should. So <laughs> there I went again. She just wanted to get you out of the house. I think so. 
And anyway, so I ran against Tom Keating, a senator from Billings here. And I had, uh, uh, at that time, I knew Tom real well. And I, I just thought that we needed some more younger blood. Well, I beat Tom Keating very convincingly. And my program was called Maintain, Gain, and Control. Maintain 1984, Gain uh, 1986, and Control 1988. Well, we did that with one exception. Because 1988, we elected Stan Stevens for the first time in 20 years, a Republican governor. We elected Conrad Burns. We controlled the, uh, the state Senate, but we lacked a few votes, just very few votes of controlling the House. We also we also got the Attorney General, we got the Auditor's Office, and I think that's it for the Land Board. Um, maybe, maybe I'm missing somebody. But, but the bottom line is that really, you know, Montana historically has been a back-and-forth state. Some have described, even the former Democratic Congressman Pat Williams kind of described it as a politically schizophrenic state as or as a purple state. But a lot of people who are new to Montana or, or just newly getting involved in Montana politics now because of COVID-19 and all that craziness, and or Donald Trump brought the rest of the folks over that Reagan didn't bring over in the 80s. Trump brought them over in 2016 and 2020. And so there's a lot of new people to Montana politics that might assume that this is a safely red uh, state and we're going to be that way for the foreseeable future. And we very well could be, right? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to save a little bit of this for the, the 9 o'clock hour is that we're going to kind of talk about how some of that changed because the influence that Butte had over the party in the state was extraordinarily powerful from the old Anaconda Copper days. Even the Republican Party? No, just, just the state as a, as a whole, as a control. As a whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I will tell you that uh, we had a program and, and I went around the state selling it for the two terms that I served, I was unopposed uh, uh, the second time I ran for chairman. And I could have run again for a third term, but in the meantime, the primaries were heating up for governor's race, and you had Walter Meyer, and you had Stan Stevens, and uh, Bob Marks, who had been Speaker of the House, he was thinking about it. I was thinking about running for governor, uh, very honestly. And you had Cal, Cal, Winslow. Cal Winslow here. And I knew with the train that uh, Jim Waldemeyer had that if uh, most of us or all of us got in that primary, well, Waldemeyer had won. Well, when I got elected chairman, uh, Jim Waldemeyer told me, he said, John, you're going to kick all these other people out that didn't vote for you, the party. I said, oh, no, I'm not. That isn't the way you build a party. So and that's... Uh, this that's, that's that's where Jim Waldemar and I, I split because uh, w w if we split, we lose. And so anyway, uh, that's why I went and I uh, was chairman of Stan Stevens's gubernatorial campaign. But if you have a program and you go out and talk to people and that's what you go door to door and you do those things that uh, you think may be hard to do, uh, that's how you win elections. So Walterman was the sitting, a lot of, give a little history. Walterman was our Secretary of State in Montana. I think he was the only statewide elected Republican at that time. And, and he was running for was governor. This, again? this is in 88. 88, okay. And uh, he he died in a plane crash. Uh, it was outside of Helena, correct? And um, it was that in March? Yeah, he died in a plane crash coming back from a debate up in Glasgow, Montana with Cal Winslow and... Uh, and Stan Stevens. And so that changed, I remember that. I was in high school. That changed the entire political landscape of what happened. And, and, and 
the conservative part of the party really rallied behind Stan, which Stan was Stan still one of my favorite governors of all time. Got him elected, and yeah. he passed away here, here recently uh, as well. Yeah, four or five years ago. Yeah. Now. Uh, you know, listening to you, uh, John Brennan, for those just jumping in on the conversation here, we've got uh, Greg Franks, the proprietor of the Summit Cigar Lounge. We're down here enjoying a cigar. Our good Norwegian Lutheran friend is 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 not Im- imbibing right now, but that's all right. You know, it's uh, it's good. It's good to see. I should have brought some Lefsa for you or something. I feel like I got a host. I got now. some Lutefisk in the fridge. Do you got Lutefisk? Yeah. Okay, good. It's like well, this. I'm a poor Norwegian. I don't eat Lutefisk, but I like the uh, uh, meatballs and the Lefsa. <laughs> my, my grandma Joan made the best uh, Swedish meatballs. She was half Swedish, half Norwegian. So, uh, so, uh, but uh, but you know, listening to you. You know, you said, you know, I, I wanted to do this, but but then I went another track, or I wanted to do this, but I came up short. And you've done a lot, but yet you've had staying power. There's a lot of people that come and go. There's a lot of new people just getting involved, just getting engaged. It would have been easy for somebody like you, like so many others, to get mad, get your feelings hurt, and then just kind of take your ball and go home and just have nothing more to do with getting engaged, uh, not just in, in party politics and, but in, and in public policy, but just in in, in serving your state and in serving your community? Well, I guess I've never been a quitter. Uh, I went through, uh, you know, the drought of the 30s. I don't remember. But my folks certainly went through it. But the drought from 1979 through 1991 in eastern Montana and northeastern Montana, we lost fifty to 60,000 people in those 16 counties. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't easy. When you don't have any crop for four or five years, you tell me what you're going to run on. And I, I'll be honest with you, I battled bankers like you couldn't believe. And now i got to laugh at them because um, most of them I could buy out. <laughs> and, and the, but the point is, if you quit and give up, no matter what you do, you lose. If you stay in, you look at how many times that Abraham Lincoln ran for office. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at Alan Colson over here. Mm-hmm. Ran, I think he lost uh, three times running for the House of Representatives over there in Chester. And I mean, and he ended up being a state senator, member of the House, state senator, uh, uh, very close to Reagan, uh, Reagan appointee. Uh, and uh, I just look at successful people. It doesn't matter where you come from, whether it's New York City or Scobie or wherever in between. If you give up, you just as well jump off a cliff. But if you just stay in there and pitch, you know what? You can win. You know, yeah, there's, I've been trying to write down one-liners because one thing Conrad Burns was really good. He had a one-liner for everything. And, and one of the one-liners that, that just has been standing out to me a lot, you know, after being in the military, serving overseas, is if you think life's over, it ain't. It, it, you know, pol- politics is the same way. Uh, and, uh, and, and the business is the same way, right? Uh, especially those who are in Well, service. they had a... Uh, uh, it was some kind of a governor's, Western Governor's Conference up here in Billings. And three people got together from, their names are Conrad Burns, Ron Marley, and John Brendan, to uh, uh, meet with the Undersecretary of Agriculture here in Billings. And that's how I've, I'd known Conrad before that. But the three guys, uh, we went up and had this good meeting because they were agricultural issues, and we were all from agriculture, you might say. And uh, we had a good visit, and, and uh, you know, things just blossom from those kind yeah. of things. Well, let's, ho- let's hold it right there. Greg Franks, after this next break, what should we, where should we go to next? What should we talk about next? Or you think on that thought. We'll take a quick break here with Montana Talks. 
Who is Zoe Zephyr, the radical transgender lawmaker from Missoula, Montana, who cheered on the transurrection attacking the Montana House of Representatives? Aaron Flint here with Montana Talks. That story, uh, clearly, by far, the number one story based on Montana page views for 2023. We compiled the top 23 stories for 2023 here in Montana. Go to MontanaTalks.com. You can see that story, the full list, and much Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. Hey, we're back here with uh, longtime state senator John Brennan out of Scobie, Montana, former state senator, and Greg Franks. You know, I joked earlier how, you know, Greg Franks was the kid in Mo- Montana politics back in uh, in the Ron Marlinade days, uh, former Eastern District Republican Congressman Ron Marlinade out of Scobie, Montana, where John Brennan's out of. Yeah. Greg, you were the kid in Montana politics. How did you get your start? It, well, I should say, too, not only were you the kid in Montana politics, but eventually you ended up doing advance work for the for the Bush White House. And if Dick Cheney was fly fishing back here in Montana on the Bighorn River, you would kind of help uh, help coordinate those trips. You got to do some international travel. So you've uh, you've gotten to, to see and do some pretty cool things just from starting out as a kid in Montana politics. So I, I, my story is not too unfamiliar than than john's was starting to get involved i remember the I, I was five years old and i remember my parents going to vote in that 76 election and i thought they were going to go see jimmy carter and gerald ford i thought that's where they went i uh, started getting very uh, aware even going particularly going into that 80 election i was just a huge fan of ronald reagan's and uh, even at nine years old i'm watching the presidential debate getting all excited and i remember the day that he got elected November 4th, 1980, and it's, it's always just a great salute for that. So I've, I've been active for quite a while. Um, I grew up in Laurel, when, and back in the 80s, uh, Laurel was kind of like a mini butte where the Republican Party would have to meet in a phone booth in the middle of the night um, because there's just no, <laughs> nobody there. So uh, I, I started getting active. I, I kind of in some statewide stuff back in 86. I did some volunteering for Barlinay. Uh, 88 was the big year. We started up what is called the Teenage Republicans with the presidential election with Bush uh, running. Uh, and uh, you had Marlon Israel, you had Conrad, you had uh, Mark Roscoe running for attorney general. My dad ran for state legislature, so I was going around door to door with him and really got just really dug my spurs in. And, and, and it just became a passion. monumental election in Montana. It was huge. And, and, they well, didn't expect like Conrad Burns to win that they election. Did, they didn't even. even he was taking on an entrenched uh, Democrat senator. And Conrad is this, you know, probably still had manure and mud on his boots and his jeans from the from the stockyards. He's been a county commissioner for a little but he really He'd was, only been a county commissioner not even two years. Not even two years. And it was the fires of nineteen eighty eight and the and the left had this let it burn strategy yep. and and he was fighting back against that and that's what propelled him to, to win that senator. Speaking of eighty eight and the fires, I remember I got got to go down to the Republican National Convention in New Orleans at seventeen years old. <laughs> and uh the, you know, you come back, and this is in uh, early August. You come back, and seriously, you could not see Billings because the smoke was so thick, so dark. It's total IFR landing to where it was, just, it was just really bad. And the policies that were in place was just let it burn and let it burn itself out. The natural 
environmental approaches where, you know, we're, we're meant to be stewards, but I don't want to get into that yeah, whole thing. that's right, yeah. Uh, and so, 88, uh, I worked in that. the issue that, that turned that election, basically, yeah. And you, you, you married an incredible young lady named Wendy from Weibo. She's so. from, uh, I, I, I like to tell everybody she's from back east, um, <laughs> so she's from Weibo, but... And then 89, I was an intern for Conrad, um, stayed involved through college. And uh, 90, 91, 92, I worked with Marlon A. Um, and uh, started getting more involved in statewide politics. And uh, had so, I've had some wonderful opportunities in my life. So, uh, John Brennan, uh, I don't know if you guys want me to bring this up because this is kind of like, you know, this was the big secret in Montana politics. This was how stuff really got done. This is how you, you took all this cast of characters with various egos, various ideas, various, uh, you know, philosophies. There was something called Jack Pine where everybody came together and kind of hashed these things out and, and got their act together, as I understand it, right? Well, yeah, and that was started uh, <clears throat> with people like Frank Whetstone and, and uh, Dave Bliss and Jack Galt and, uh, and uh, others and... And the conservative, I would say, the hierarchy of, of the put in uh, Reagan, and they would get together, and basically it was it's men only, and we'd get together, and there'd be anywhere from twenty to forty of us for a long weekend, and a lot of BSing, but a lot of politics was played in there. Uh, who are you going to support? What do you think about this guy? We'd have candidates come in and talk to us, and and what have you. And basically, these were the uh, men that were, at that time, the shakers and the movers of the communities around the state of Montana that had a lot of influence in their, their own areas, their own counties, their own towns. And so if one of those people came back and said, you know, I'm supporting X, Y, and Z, and, and he, this person was well thought of, uh, that carried a lot of weight. But likewise, somebody else could come and say, well, I think you're full of it, and here's what I'm supporting, why I'm supporting. And you could get together and talk and hash these out and, and have frank conversations, at, whereas now everybody's so so broken up into camps sometimes. And, and we uh, didn't uh, – and we left there, and we didn't uh, disparage any, any other Republicans. It was kind of the Reagan uh, 11th Commandment. Yeah, uh, back you, then. darn yeah. right, yep. and that was very important. But even back then, I mean, Republicans and Democrats could get together in the same fashion. At, at the end of the day, you know, you had Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill that would get together at the end of the day and, and have a beverage and have well, things. Well, uh, that brings up a situation. So I was in the legislature in the Senate in 93, and that was the last time that there was term limits. I had got appointed... Because Dennis Nathia was our state senator up in uh, Scobie Redstone area, and he died suddenly. And so I got appointed to that position for most of that term of 93. And that was the year that they brought in term limits. And what had happened before term limits came in was that every two years, on average, one-third of the House and Senate would get displaced because they wouldn't run, they got defeated, they moved away, they died, whatever. And that was a healthy exchange. Well, term limits came in. So then when I went back into the Senate in, in, 19, uh, in 2009, term limits were there. So I was there for two terms. The two, next two years that I was out, in 17 and 19, there were 78 new people in the House of Representatives. And that, in my mind, is exactly why it's so fractious right now. Jimmy Keene is a dear friend of mine. 
That's right. He is he is a Democrat from Butte. When it came to agriculture, when it came to business, when it came to natural resources, Jimmy and I were like that, and we were on the Appropriations Committee. And basically what Jimmy Keene and John Brennan said went. And when he got up on his social issues that I might disagree with or me vice versa, we never disparaged each other. But on the things that we worked together and we made a lot of good changes and i can name them well, off the, i remember you guys came together on this keystone xl pipeline wrote a letter together calling out liberal senator john tester saying john you got the power to get this thing done to get this thing across the finish line use your power a, Dem a democrat from butte a republican from scobie tester was never willing to use that power but that's we've talked about that before but uh jack pine so greg franks uh, mentioned you were the kid in politics back then uh 40 of the biggest, uh, 20 to 40 of the biggest conservative slash Republican slash movers shakers in the state. And you end up in the room. So did, did Marlon A tell you, okay, you can go, uh, but keep your mouth shut. What did he, he tell he you? Did, he did tell me that. So um, <laughs> Ron couldn't make it. I think it was 93. It was right after the, uh, after the 92 election. He said, I'm going to invite you to Jack Bryan. He says, I can't go. He says, but uh, I want you to. And uh, he made introductions. I think he probably called John and Bliss and those guys. And, and I show up there, and uh, one of the things he asked me to do, he says, I want you to go out and buy, your, buy a box of, uh, of uh, these reject cigars and hand those out. And old Kenny Nolan, I said, I don't know, what am I supposed to do? He goes, no, buy, buy the good stuff, buy, buy these. So uh, clearly it was kind of, kind of a spoke-filled room because Ron loves cigars, and we were smoking there on the seventh floor of the uh, Holiday Inn in Great Falls in that suite. And, and uh, my mother still curses to this day. It's kind of part of the reason why I have Summit Cigar Lounge is because, you know, Ron – kind of showed me at the age of 20, 21 years old of what cigars were and what, why, why they're good, and, and, then, and it's been a lifelong you, passion. You get people together to have conversations. Have conversations. People don't get together and have long-form, extended conversations where you can, you can disagree and you can agree or you can say, hey, you know, this is a crazy idea, but we're just here among friends just having a cigar. Cigars, cigars force you to slow down a little bit, and I often say that the lost art of conversations regained down here because it's rare that a total stranger will walk in um, and eat meet them at a bar or a restaurant, or you make a new friend. That happens all the time over so That's right. And that's one of the you see some old friends, it. and then you meet somebody new every time. But, you're but getting back there. to Jack Bryan, Ron tells me to go in there and keep my mouth shut, and uh, that was a heck of a fun time. I get to know these guys bonded with them. Well, we won't tell all the stories on it. But what you can say with about a minute to go here is what kind of insight did you get that, you, that you're willing to share? You know, I'm going to take it from a different approach. I'm going to say what's missing in the Republican Party right now is that what these guys put together is they brought – people from all across the state together. They built a friendship. They created a bond. They created a synergy within the Republican Party that was kind of a mainstay. And I think a lot of that's missing right now because those relationships don't exist. You have people that know each other through the legislature. There's fractionization. But what, what those guys created is some stability. They didn't always win in all their battles. They didn't win in with all the candidates that they chose. But they were kind of a mainstay consistency. And they're also a large part of the reason why the Republican Party was able to be sustained because they were the ones writing the check to keep it going. Well, and we'll see what happens here in 2024, but with the new demographics, these political refugees that have fleed other states, do we have the opportunity to create a permanent conservative majority to put Montana in the red state category for the foreseeable future? And if so, how, how do we build that and how do we build that unity moving forward? We'll start there uh, right after this. Lots more to talk about. Your morning espresso starts right here. It's the Sean Hannity Morning Minute. Well, watching Kamala Harris say, oh, yes, I'm ready to take over as president. I'm like, oh, no, you're not. You really overestimate your capabilities. Uh, you are not ready for that job. 
But my favorite part of that interview was when she said, oh, no, I've been there. Joe, if, first of all, let me say our president has an extraordinary leader. What an extraordinary leader he is and who has accomplished things the previous presidents hoped and dreamed and promised that they would do and did not achieve, she said to the AP. I see him every day, she continued. For I see how his ability to understand issues and weave through complex issues in a way that no one else can. She's lying. The Sean Hannity Show, from coast to coast, later today. With everything going on in the world today, the war, the inflation, the geopolitical tensions, $33 trillion in national debt, it's no wonder people are looking to diversify their savings with gold and silver. But who does Sean Hannity choose for his gold and silver? None other than the top-rated precious metals company, Gold Co. Gold Co. is a seven-time Inc. 5000 winner with over 5,000 five-star reviews, and they've helped thousands of Americans place over $2 billion in gold and silver. They're Sean Hannity's top choice. And right now, they're offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver for Sean Hannity listeners. But it's first come, first served, and only while supplies last. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-815-GOLD to learn how you can get started today. Tell them Hannity sent you and see if you qualify for up to $10,000 in bonus silver. Call Gold Co. at 855-815-GOLD. That's 855-815-GOLD. Vehicles, from maintenance and tires to auto diagnostics and drivability repair. You can count on them. One Stop Automotive, 2015 2nd Avenue North. Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. So we're here with a longtime Scobie, Montana lawmaker, John Brennan, a former chairman of the Montana Republican Party, Greg Franks, uh, the proprietor of the Summit Cigar Lounge here in town. First off, Greg, I've got to check out at least one of the other. There's a several cigar lounges across Montana now. Great Falls has a really cool kind of hidden speakeasy one. I got to go uh, to. Ken, Ken Weimreiter from, uh, from uh, Hamilton has one in Helena. He's, he's building out a new one in Helena, and then he has one in Great Falls, and the guys in Missoula have Fool's End. I had a, a Tatanka cigar that I guess the guy from Rocky Mountain Liquors in Helena started his own yep. cigar line. Very good cigar. The guys in Great Falls Tim's introduced great me guy. to that one. Tim's the one that's responsible for uh, dropping the tobacco tax on, on cigar individual cigars from 50% to $0.35. Cents. And you're actually seeing a boom within the retail segment in the state where people are starting to sell cigars. The state's actually probably receiving more revenue off of it in the that's long right. run. I don't remember the exact scoring he did as far as the equations, what kind of revenues and that, but... I'm going to probably venture to say within the matter of a cycle or two that Montana is going to be receiving even more tobacco tax because of reducing the taxes on the product. Yeah, because before people were just buying them all online from elsewhere. Now they can buy them from a Montana shop. Plus, if you're going to have marijuana readily available, why are you going to overly tax cigars like crazy? So, yeah, that just makes sense. And then Brian Massard's got Cattle Baron cigars, yeah. which are which You've are got the Big Sky well. Cigar guys big as well. Big Sky Cigar yeah. guys, yeah, some, some, uh, some cool. So, uh, as, as one, of my, one of my favorite old movies is a musical with uh, – Clint Eastwood and uh, and uh, I can Lee Marvin. It's Paint Your Wagon. And Clint Lee, Eastwood did musicals. He did a musical, Paint Your Wagon, <laughs> and uh, it was filmed in '69. And, and and Lee Marvin's character is an old miner. It's a mining town, but Lee Marvin had an old saying: "Is tell you if had a fine cigar, a good shot of whiskey, you're missing out on the second or third finest things life has to offer." <laughs> well, you know about Lee Marvin, he was a decorated World War II veteran. Paint Your Wagon. Didn't the, didn't the four-pack summer theater do Paint Your Wagon yeah, for one of their did. musicals? I think, I think they, they did. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, John, so John Brennan, I, I kind of left it hanging after that last uh, that last segment there, but you know, Montana politics, you've seen big swings in both directions. Republicans win big, the Democrats win big. Now Republicans won big again, and, and some people might get a little cocky, but then again, the demographics might put Montana in a permanent conservative majority. Well, first of all, you don't want to count your chickens before they hatch. And I've seen that happen, whether it's in business or politics. I remember when Colorado was totally, totally red. Yep. They had a Republican governor. They had a veto-proof uh, House and Senate. And then they started fracture, and now you look at it, it's a total purple state. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it purple. It's a total blue, yeah. With the, uh, well, yeah. There's a few representatives out there. Yeah. yeah. But, but, and so I think we just have to keep going and keep building in the future, be positive of what we believe in and the... And in a strong America, a strong economy for America, and this immigration thing is a disaster. I tell you, I've known every uh, and seen every president from Dwight Eisenhower up through Bill Clinton. I never saw Obama, and of course, I I, I knew Trump. But the point is, uh, we had all these cycles that go up and down and back and forth. And the way that the Republican Party in Montana has got to. Uh, stay together and stay winning is that we have to coalesce and be together. Because you're concerned, I know you're concerned that if and we got about a minute here to go uh, for this hour, but you're concerned that if Republicans get just spend too much time fighting each other and, and things blow up in 15 different directions here into, into 2024, that it could fracture the conservatives, fracture the GOP, and then and then you can kiss them goodbye. Then Tester gets in. Yeah, we're we're heading towards a what could potentially be a, a extraordinarily difficult primary period coming up. Um, you know, with the congressional race, the way that that's shaping out, depending on which way Matt wants to decide to jump. Um, I mean, you could be looking at as many as 12 candidates in that Eastern congressional primary, and you're pulling people out of very good potential seats. You're looking at Troy Downing stepping, looking at stepping away from auditor where you win that easily. You're looking at some state senators, state representatives that are looking at jumping in. You're leaving those seats vulnerable. Uh, but, you know, we, we can talk a little bit more about that in the next hour. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, it's just been so great here having a cigar with uh, Greg Franks and catching up with uh, former State Senator John Brennan out of Scobie. That's why we've got a whole other hour yet to come. Who Who is this Frank Whetstone guy that we're hearing so much about? Uh, and how instrumental was he in the Reagan Western Revolution uh, back in the 80s? Uh, that and, and the 76 primary and so much more uh, coming up here on Montana Talks right after this uh, quick break. And, uh, yeah, who knows what else we're going to cover uh, in the meantime. It's going to be a great hour. This is the Montana Economic Minute. Promises are one thing, policies and performance are another. Saying that you will cut carbon emissions by one half by year 2030, less than seven years away, is easy. But making good on those commitments is quite another. When you bring in the fact that in order for reductions to impact climate, they must be carried out globally, it adds up to a massive overhaul in energy production that will require enormous investment. A recent study by consulting firm S&P Global looked at how a global transition to carbon-free energy might impact the demand for copper. An important concession to reality in the S&P study is the recognition that other factors, most notably the industrialization of less developed countries, will increase the global appetite for the metal as well. The upshot is that copper producers will need to refine twice as much copper by 2035 than has ever been produced, both through mining and recycling. How exactly are we going to do that? I'm Patrick Barkey. Brought to you by the University of Montana Bureau of Business and Economic Research. 